Long History Conquering Manila Part 2 Fire in Manila Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Long History. We're currently on the second of two documents about the Spanish taking over Manila and turning it into their colonial capital. This took place in 1570 and as a result of the events here, Manila would become the Spanish colonial capital in the Philippines for over 300 years. Now this is the second part of this document, which we've called Conquering Manila, but there are now three previous documents about the early colonization of the Philippines, but we've also got documents about the early exploration of the United States, for example. So there's lots to explore on long history. Don't forget to subscribe or follow, and please do explore our past episodes. In the previous episode of this document, the Spanish were wandering around the Philippine Islands, particularly around their current base on Panay Island. And right at the end of the previous episode, it was decided to send the Master of Camp and Captain Juan de Salcedo to Luzon Island specifically to explore the area of Manila and, if past events in this document are anything to go by, to pacify the area and to turn the locals into tributaries of the Spanish. And as this episode begins, the Spanish embark on their mission. Just a note as well, although the Master of Camp and Captain Juan de Salcedo go to Manila in this episode, the Governor is mentioned a few times. Now at this stage this is still Miguel López de Legazpi who has appeared in all of the Philippines documents so far. He's the overall leader of the Spanish colony on the Philippines and he stays on Panay Island while these two men go on their mission. So here we go with Conquering Manila, Part 2, Fire in Manila. The necessary preparations having been made for this expedition, the master of camp and the said captain embarked in two of our small ships with three large pieces of artillery and accompanied by 14 or 15 ships of the Pintados Indians, our friends, who in their own language are called Visays. They sailed out of the river of Panay in the year of 70 above mentioned, on the 3rd of May, the day of Santa Cruz. I did not take part in this expedition, but shall describe literally everything which occurred in it. I have drawn my information from the others who participated in it, and more especially from two of my associates, both of whom went on this expedition, and who are men of great reliability, an advantage as I have before mentioned. The master of camp arrived at the island of Mindoro, the village and port of which had the reputation of being very great and very strong, but which proved to be an exaggeration, for the village is small, containing only about three or four hundred inhabitants. The master of camp, having arrived, as I have said, at that port, the Indians were drawn up on a declivity before the village and made signs that they intended to prevent the entrance of the Spaniards. The master of camp, with all his soldiers, leaped ashore in front of the village on a little plain and, approaching the village in a zigzag course, thus attacked it. The gunners who were in the ship were ordered to discharge a cannon in the air when the attack was made, and this was done. The Indians, seeing that they intended to enter the village by force, made peace with the master of camp and paid him tribute, 
and they have remained friends and vassals of the Royal Spanish Administration up to the present day. This is the port where enter all the passengers who come from the islands of the Pintados and from España to this island of Luzon where the governor resides. From here, the master of camp sets sail for the island of Luzon, or rather the port and village of Manila, which was said to be large and very strong. It is but just to say that it is not more than one-tenth as large and as strong as in Nueva España and in other places it is reported to be. And yet, in comparison with the natives of this land, the inhabitants of Manila were powerful, for they had twelve pieces of small and inferior artillery and a few culverins, with such other weapons as I have already mentioned. This village of Manila is situated on a tongue of land extending from east to west between the river and the sea, and a fort had been built on the extreme western end of this peninsula at the entrance to the port. The sea makes a very large harbour, about thirty leagues in circumference, and bordering upon this harbour are many villages, among which is that of Manila. Manila is now a Spanish city, founded in the name of His Majesty by the Governor Miguel López de Legazpi. The Captain-General and Captain Juan de Salcedo, having arrived in view of this port of Manila, entered in peace and under the safe conduct of two native chiefs of the said village. One of these was called Laya, lately deceased, who died a Christian. The other was called Raja Soliman. With these two chiefs were drawn up articles of peace, although Raja Soliman was suspected of lack of good faith, while Laya was always to be trusted, even until the day of his death. While these peaceful negotiations were in progress between the master of camp and the two chiefs above mentioned, they collected a large number of natives of various classes, and yet there was not so many as was reported in Nueva España, where it was claimed that there were in all 80,000 Moros in this village of Manila when this event took place. Indeed, one should subtract 78,000 from the 80,000 mentioned in order to arrive at the 2,000 which there might have been from the said village of Manila and those in its environs, including the women and children who were present in great numbers. Now, as I say, these negotiations being in progress, some of the natives desired peace and others war. For indeed, the Indians had some pride, and it seemed to them that the Spaniards were very few and could easily be slain, even if only with clubs. Thus it was that at the end of three days during which these friendly negotiations continued, because it was impossible to come to an agreement or conclude them, one day, at ten o'clock, on the twenty-fourth day of the month of May of the year above mentioned, the Indians, who were in the fort, began to discharge their artillery at two of our ships, which were moored very nearby. The master of camp was ashore with eighty soldiers close to this same fort, on a small piece of level ground. The fort was made of palm-tree logs surmounting a very narrow mound, and the pieces of artillery protruded from immense gaps by which the soldiers could enter at will, as I have said above. Now, when the Moros began to violate the articles of peace and friendship which the master of camp had made with them, the latter was deeply concerned, for he had great fear 
because the enemy were in force. Yet, when he saw that the battle had broken out, he put on his helmet and commenced to encourage his soldiers, telling them that they should acquit themselves as Spaniards, and as they had always done in critical times. Thereupon he ordered them to attack the fort through the openings made for the artillery, and it pleased God that not one of the gunners had the courage to fire his piece, and so great was the confusion that they trembled upon seeing the Spaniards enter with so great spirit, and turning their backs, abandoned themselves to flight, and slew one another in their mad rush for freedom. The master of camp, realising that the village was large and rich, and that the victory was his by the grace of God, for the soldiers were few, feared lest our soldiers should, through greed, set to plundering the houses and become widely scattered, and that, if the enemy should see them thus scattered, they would return and attack them when unable to reunite. That he might avoid this danger, he ordered the village to be set on fire, and the soldiers to collect upon the promontory, which order was obeyed. In this manner as related, it befell the master of camp, and the victory was obtained over those of Manila. The artillery which they possessed, and which I have mentioned above, namely ten or twelve medium-sized pieces and a few culverins, was taken. On the other bank, there was a village whose chief was named Alcandora, with whom the master of camp did not wish to deal as yet, for he knew that the governor desired to establish a settlement on this island. Therefore, as he desired that this chief should stay where he was and do him no injury, he left him and returned to the island of Panay, making peace and friendship on the way with many villages on this same island of Lusom. Upon reaching the island of Mindoro, and being in a river which is called Vaco, news came to him that Juan de la Isla had arrived from Nueva España with three ships sent by the Viceroy Don Martín Enríquez, and with the letters which the said Juan de la Isla was bringing from España from His Majesty. News was received likewise of the payments of money which were being made to the soldiers in the service of His Majesty in these regions. There also came on these ships the most reverend Father Diego de Herrera, a member of the Order of St. Augustine, who had gone hence a year before to Nueva España, on business which pertained to the public welfare and to the service of God and His Majesty. The master of camp, having received the news as to these ships, made haste and arrived in the middle of the month of June at the river of Panay, where the governor was. He was well received by the governor and by all, although it grieved the governor much that they had burned Manila, for he had planned to take up his residence in this village of Manila, as he afterward did. According to the story told by those who were present, it does not seem that the master of camp was at fault in the burning of this village, for he did it in order to make sure of the victory, and so that the enemy might not return to attack him. This is my opinion, for I regard him as a good Christian. Laying aside this question, I shall relate the doings of the governor. The ships having arrived at the said island of Panay, orders were given for all the other captains who were scattered with their companies through the other islands to assemble. 
the papers and letters of his majesty were opened, and it was seen that it was his will for the lands to be settled and divided among those who conquered and subdued them. Other and greater favours were conferred by his majesty, who has always striven and will always strive that our lord should be served. The will of his majesty having thus been revealed to the governor, he determined to go to found a colony on the island of Cebu, which he did, naming it El Nombre de Jesus. He left this colony populated by 40 or 50 colonists, giving them some villages and islands in the immediate environs. From that island he returned to the above-named island of Panay, whence he decided to sail with the rest of his men and all his munitions of war to the island of Luzon. He was detained here, however, for five or six months, during which time the people suffered great distress from the lack of rice in the island, because of the swarms of locusts which had prevailed for two or three years. Therefore the father provincial preached to us each day and strongly urged the governor, in all his public sermons and private conversations, that he should depart from this island and not permit the people to suffer so great distress. Therefore, influenced by the prayers and warnings of the said father, and because he saw that there was reason therefore, he decided to sail out of the said river of Panay with all his fleet and army to settle the island of Luzon. As this episode ends, we see that it already goes further ahead in time than our previous document, how Manila became Spanish. Here we see how Miguel López de Legazpi, about five or six months after the end of the previous document, makes the decision to move to the island of Luzon, with this island of Panay seeming to be just not capable of supporting the Spanish. In the next episode, we'll hear of this latest journey of the Spanish from Panay to Luzon, and the village or town of Manila, and we'll see what the Spanish find some months after they burned the place to the ground. That's all for the latest episode of Long History. Thank you for listening. Please do like it if you can, and don't forget to subscribe to be informed of the release of the latest episodes of this series. This was Conquering Manila, Part 2, Fire in Manila. Goodbye.